Cheese. Thank you. Oh. oh. Formaggio. 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 Hey, cheese lovers. Alex here with another episode of the Collective Creamery Cheese Podcast. And today we are going to share with you one of the favorite interviews that we've done so far. We love all of our cheesemaker friends who uh, sit down with us to record, but this is a really, really amazing story that we're going to share with you. So back in the winter, uh, Sue and Steph and I did a little long weekend up in the Hudson Valley. Um, We stayed up there got a little workcation in, and also visited some really awesome cheesemakers. One of them is Brent Zimmerman from Lime Kiln Farm in Cooksaki, New York. Uh, And he has one of the most interesting stories of a cheesemaker that I've ever heard. Brent spent 25 years in Italy, in Tuscany. He fell into being a shepherd and then a cheesemaker, um, built this whole career over there. And then eventually he and his partner came back to the States several years ago to start their own farm. Um, Lime Kiln is a gorgeous, uh, I think 400, almost 450 acres um, in upstate New York, uh, not super far from Hudson. He's got cows, he's got goats, he's got sheep, uh, and he's making cheese with these super traditional Italian recipes that he learned you know, from Nona's and experts over there adapted to U.S. regulations and constraints, uh, and they're fantastic. Um, We loved all of his cheeses that we tried, and we loved hearing his story. And he's just like the warmest, most fun, um, really, really inspiring person and cheesemaker and farmer. There are some issues with the quality of this audio that you are going to hear, and we want you to bear with us through that if you can. We really wanted to share this interview with you. We didn't want to skip it despite those issues, so just wanted to let you know about that. Um, but Brent is really like one of our favorite cheesemakers, and uh, we love his cheeses, and we're hoping to get them in the Collective Creamery share soon. So without further ado, here is our chat with Brent Zimmerman of Lime Kiln Farm. Uh, Brent, how is it that you say the the name of the town where we are? Well, my newly adopted town is Kuksaki. 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 Like Kuksaki. Yeah, you got to be careful on it. It's kind of tricky on the spelling. You don't want to go for the, you know. Native American (laughs) word meaning hoot of the owl. Hoot of the owl. Yeah. I almost feel like. I can only say hoot of the owl now. I can't say owl's hoot. Hoot hoot (laughs) of the owl. And I'm just thinking um, it's dusk now it's dark on a winter night and if we stepped outside and we stood quietly in those trees we could hear the owls hooting in that That's barn what I'm as thinking. well and in the we, barn we up got, in the yeah. rafters for sure well this week we're visiting my good friend brent zimmerman in um kooksaki 
<laughs> New York, <laughs> up here in the Hudson Valley. And um, this is a really special story because Brent started out his cheese making, a Michigan boy heading to Italy and made cheese in Italy for 25 years before coming to the United States to make cheese. So we're going to just pick your brain all about your experiences. I'm ready. It was, a good, right. it was a good. Perfect. Ready for picking. <laughs> right for picking. So uh, in 1991, you and your partner, Alessandro, bought a farm in Tuscany. We and did. I, and I understand that it was uh, a 1600s farm that w- had been abandoned for some time. It had been abandoned for a very long time because the mountains in the early, well, in the 80s and the early 90s, the mountains in Tuscany were empty. Everybody in the 60s, 70s had left the mountain farms and gone down to the valleys where there was plumbing, there were lights, there were factory jobs. So at that time in 1991, you could have your pick of a mountain with a beautiful farm on top. They were all abandoned. Of course, they all had to be redone. And we found one. And, you know, I, I may have lied about how how much I could contribute financially to the project. <laughs> and Elizondo signed on the dotted line and said, hey, we got it. So then we had to figure out how to work it. That's that's how it all started. How were you lured out to Italy in the first place? How was I lured there? Well, it wasn't hard. I didn't want to work, basically. Oh, that's well, a <laughs> No, that's a lie. I like working. But, um, you worked nonstop. <laughs> I, I worked nonstop. But at the time, it was um, I was trying the corporate world, and that was not really my thing. And so an invite to Italy was just... Um, yeah, you say yes. You say yes when you go to Italy. And I got a job playing ping pong, babysitting a kid playing ping pong in a palace of Rome. And uh, you were the nanny. You can't make this I was stuff the, up. I was the manny. I was the manny. Yeah. The manny. Yeah. Oh, For a very nice royal family in the middle of Rome. And I played ping pong in a palace. And uh, then we started thinking about, well, this isn't such a bad life and started looking at mm-hmm. farms up in the hills. That's how it I all started. That. And so how did how did sheep enter the picture well sheep uh that was an easy way for me to get a work permit way back then so a young person at the time taking 60 sheep up in those abandoned mountains gave you a full-time job i see because there was nobody in the mountains and they wanted to restore there were the old there were the old villages and the mountain villages and whatnot but the old farmhouses a lot of those were abandoned and the, the pastures were empty Right. So, you know, in parts of Tuscany, I mean, the, the farming was very strong then. And there were wandering shepherds at the time. I was just, I just became one of them. Was it ever lonely? No, I'm, I'm a loner. So it was never lonely. And the village really took me in very fast, very quickly. I find that so interesting that yeah. you're telling me you're a loner. Because ever since I've met you a couple <laughs> of years ago, I feel like instantly I felt as if we've known each other forever. Um, and speaking of Italy, uh, a couple of Italians <laughs> just walked in to the the, the farm store where we're, where we're taping, who have known Brent for a long time, who were across the mountain from him for years while he was in Italy. Um, we just met them. Uh, would you ladies like to introduce yourselves? Yeah. Um, my name is Aurora, and I lived in uh, Firenze for 30 years and playing in an orchestra there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. And it took... Coming back to New York to meet Brent. Wow. <laughs> so, so we could have been besties on that mountain for besties. 25 so years. You would have had to be a loner. <laughs> no, I like being well, a loner. I like being a loner. That's something we have in common. <laughs> That's great. I know yeah. I, you were going to tell us something about um, yeah. the cheeses here. Well, the first time I bought a form, brought it home, I opened up some red wine, poured a glass of red wine, 
and and had a piece of cheese of his and i felt like i was back in italy oh that it might be the, the nicest thing that the best no, thing really. to, that's uh, you know apart from nice to say it's so nice to hear yeah. because i'm i'm missing obviously italy is such a big part of my life big part of aurora and angelica's yeah. life uh, and i miss that a lot so yeah. to have somebody just throw that at you it's, right. it's we, so nice we do talk a lot about um cheese as being able to convey such a taste to nostalgia unlike any other food because it is such an expression of place i'm with you i'm with you on that completely like we said earlier when you know when we were talking about our cheese making and i grew up in my cheese making in those mountains with those ladies who maybe didn't they couldn't explain how you were ma- they were making cheese, but the cheeses were really good. And so that's very frustrating for me to try to learn because you have to get the hand for it or the eye for it or the feel for it. And we didn't have our pH meters and acidity levels and we didn't have sanitary conditions. We're on a hillside. So, you know, it, you taste the place, tasted the place. And I love that. I have chills just thinking about that, you know, at the hand of the cheesemaker. And you learned by doing and touching and feeling along with them. Learn by doing, feeling, you know, it was frustrating. My cheeses weren't very good. I would, you know, I would force myself to eat it. I tried to sell them door to door, not speaking the language. What was that like <laughs> when this, you know, toe-headed American boy shows up with these Italian cheeses? I had my backpack. Well, they saw, they saw me walking around the village and I had my sheep up on the hill. And then I started knocking door to door. But, you know, my language was so bad. It was before Internet, before cell phones, before, thankfully, so you do learn. But at the beginning, I would basically put a piece of cheese in front of them and say, I would like me buy my cheese meat. <laughs> cheese. <laughs> and then, cheese the meat. Did it work? Did they taste and then they were like, No, oh, okay. not very no. many. No, no. But then finally the pizzeria, who I'd go to the pizzeria every day and ask if they wanted to buy the cheese, they did buy a piece and they named a pizza after me. So that's wow, nice. That's <laughs> iconic. So if you that's go to Caprese Michelangelo, we have a pizza Priello, which is our house, our farm, and then we have a pizza Brent. So pizza nice. Brent. Brent, tell us so you, so you buy this farm, you get some sheep, you get your work permit. Yes. How does your farm grow and develop and evolve over the next decade or two? Well, then, well, you know, you start all these things with big ideas, and it was the early 90s in Tuscany, in the mountains of Tuscany, which we like to call Kentuscany. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, it, it was a different world because uh, come from the USA and things are so fast and you can do what you want to do and how you want to do it, and then move to this remote mountain village where it's a whole different life. And uh, I fell right, I fell straight into it. I, I I blended well, let's put it that way. But it did take a long time to build the house. We bought a house with no lights and no water, whatnot. And that was in 91. We got our plumbing in 1996. So it was a long five years to be a young person saying, I'm living the dream. (laughs) (laughs) It did take a long time, but uh, it was such a good ride the entire way that it didn't feel like five years. So then we opened up the house as a guest house. I was making cheese in the meanwhile, had my 60 sheep. Got cows and goats at the same time. I was trying to make cheese. I wasn't selling very much. Uh, building a house, making cheese. Um, then we opened up the house as a guest house. And that thankfully took off real fast, real quick. So we were eating a lot of cheese in the guest house. Then uh, that carried on for about eight years. And in 2000, um, 2004 or 2002, I don't remember, we bought the goat farm down in the valley because the guest house had taken off. And so little by little, my big farm turned into a guest house with fewer animals because it couldn't do all the work. But I started missing all the animals because I'm a big animal person. Uh, so this dairy farm came up for sale and Alessandro and I were having a ice cream in the piazza and a realtor friend of his said, hey, you want to buy a dairy farm? 
And I said, no way. And Alessandro said, let's have a look. <laughs> so oh, that, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it was nice. So he was the pusher on this. Uh, so he we had. Knew, he knew. Yes, we, we still have it. Our beloved, it's called Valle de Med. So the Valley in the Middle. And so that we, I was smoking 80 goats there for a very long time and participating in all the markets around Florence, Arezzo, San Sepulcro, in, the, in Tuscany. Mm. What, what are the breeds of sheep and goats that you were working with in Italy? And then how do they compare to the breeds you have now on your farm? Well, I was the goats I was milking, Camachate delle Alpi, which are the Oberhasli, which we have here in the USA. There, they're very geared towards milk production. So I had volume. 80... Volume. Lots of volume. Uh, the... They are w working animals and, and a lot of people have them. So it was very easy to go to a neighbor or around the corner or to the next mountain and find somebody who had 20 kids for sale. Now, what I am finding in the USA, you know, being new here, not knowing that many goat people yet, admittedly, because I am on a farm. So I do have, I have a lot to do. I don't have a lot of time to go out and look and, and uh, resource things. But it's, it is hard to, to get a truckload of 20 dolings to I mean, bring back. I think most farmers milking goats would agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's very hard. We don't have a lot of extra numbers to pass on to somebody else. I mean, my neighbor brought a buck in from uh, Colorado mm. so that she could work on mm. her herd. So I, I get where you're coming from there. It's, yeah. that, 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 that one's kind of tough because I did have my goats for so long that I did have, I had a barn full of everybody that I knew was staying with me forever. So starting over, buying adult goats from four or five different places, and you know, they're, they, I'm having those challenges of starting a new farm. Because you don't know the history of the family of the goats, you know. Don't know what the history. What was the dam like? Was she an easy, you know, was she easy kidding? What was her production? Is she an easy breeder? All of that. And we do have a lot, you know, USA is huge. So whether, if she was doing great in your barn in Southern Ohio may not be the same story up here in upper, where are we? Upstate New York. Upstate New York. Yes, I know it was something like that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was going to say know. Upper Valley something. I was trying to Upstate just be New York. <laughs> <laughs> uh, And I was also milking Sardinian sheep, which are big milkers over there. Mm. Uh, then I stopped milking the sheep in 2000, 2002 or 2004 when I did get the goat farm and stopped making sheep's cheese in 2006. So I was making the sheep's cheese pecorino mainly from 91 to 2006, making some goat's milk for the house, cow's milk for the house. And then in 2004, I, I'm getting all the, I drank a lot of wine. I don't remember the exact year. Well, so. When one is in Tuscany. <laughs> yes. So from 2004, 2006, I made goat's cheese only. And that was my main focus there. So what I'm really fascinated in, and we're going to talk a little bit more about your farm now and yeah. how you're getting along um, with this new operation. Uh, but in the meantime, what I'm really interested in hearing about is um, the culture of cheese and comparing your two experiences. Um, culture of cheese, USA to Italy? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The styles that are being made. Oh, my gosh. Yes. The, the cheese of the uh, Italian table. No? Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. Now this is, uh, this is very hard to get used to going both ways because when I went to Italy, they're so traditional food wise and they have such good food. And so, you know, their, their choices are huge on great cheeses or meats or wines. It's just, it's just expected for everything to be good, but so traditional that the cheese in my little area on that mountain was so limited. So pecorino, the sheep's cheese is the cheese. So you have the pecorino and the ricotta and 
the other fresh oh gosh i can't remember the name of it right now he's looking to his italian friends no non stracchino oh gosh Oh gosh, everybody makes it in caprese. Well, it's just a quick set, very soft curd. Um, so that was it. Sheep's cheese, ricotta, and a soft set curd. So then uh, when I got the goat farm, Valle di Mezzo, and uh, I went and started doing my first markets officially with the goat's cheese, I go, you know, I had a very beautiful refrigerator. I was very proud of it, uh, my cheese stand or sales table. And the little ladies would come by and say, oh, these are beautiful. Is it sheep's cheese? I said, no, it's goat's cheese. And they'd say, oh, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> they wanted what they knew. They wanted pecorino, the yes. That is so interesting about Italy is it's so very regional. Very the, regional. And eat. boy, do they stick to it because it's so good that they, that, yeah. I mean, don't need to. And don't need so to move on from American farms where everyone is expected to make like a gamut of cheeses, like this soft, hard aged, mm-hmm. this insatiable appetite for everything, diversity, diversity variety. variety, which also has its, you know, it's has its so many pluses because, <laughs> you know, we are American. So we do we go into the woods and we chop our way through and we find our way out and we discover and make our own. Uh, so taking that spirit and having to make a pecorino over and over and over, I got bored stiff making pecorino. Thing. Sure. Yes. So then after a couple of years, when goat's cheese started getting um, more popular and more news, you know, that's good or better for you. Uh, so the ladies would come by and say, is it goat's cheese? I said, yes, it's goat's cheese. And they said, I heard it's good for you. Yes, it's very good for you. And they say, but you're not from here, are you? I said, no, I'm American. <laughs> No, 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 no. One more hurdle. (laughs) One more hurdle. So, you know, cheese making over there, I started at this end of the mountain, you know, made my way up and I loved every step of the way. But um, I also like the variety of making so many different things because I do get, like all of us, we get a little bored if I only made pecorino here every day in this farm. I I I, I don't want to be a cookie cutter stamper. Mm -hmm. So I like having, you know, I can't make as many as I used to. But now I'm making about four different ones that I try to keep stocked up. And that's a good variety. I feel like it's this American spirit of, of independence really drives us as cheesemakers. We want what we want. Mm. You know, we're not boxed in by anything. Not at all. I'm, I'm, in, I'm inspired to be here. When I, when I um, you know, I go to, I can't remember the name of the cheese stores, the Murray's or the other ones right here. in Yes. There's just so much that you want to try making it all. And I want to know how, and you know, we've made all made cheese a long time now, so I can kind of say, oh, I know how they made that. I know we were talking earlier about how any piece of cheese we take, we we can't just eat it like a regular no, person. No, no, there's no longer just Analyzing eating. Analyzing it, <laughs> reverse engineering it, we're imagining the cave. <laughs> That's daily, so, daily. Tell us about your four cheeses. So right now I'm making. Um, it is winter when we're talking about this. I'm. I have a big farm here, so I'm trying to milk my cows through the winter. I'm still kind of a one-man show apart from volunteers who come and help out, thank goodness. A one-man show for 444 acres. 444 acres, 12 cows, 100 sheep, 35 goats, and 35 chickens. And they are beautiful animals. We just met every single one <laughs> so of them. So cute. They're, they're <laughs> healthy, vibrant, alert. They're funny. They talk they're, back. They are funny. They do talk <laughs> back. They respond so positively They're to my you. family. I love them. I, I do. I take good care of them. But for the cheese for the business side i wanted to milk cows through the winter and then milk goats for the summer because you know 
we have a big mortgage here. It's a big place to pay for. So I was trying to keep the cheese room going 365 days a year. So my goal is to milk cows in the winter, stock up for that cheese with cow's cheeses. And then for summer market season, I have the fresh goat's cheeses plus the aged cow cheeses. So that's that's my goal. I like that model. Choose some balance in your crazy... It does, because okay. right when I get right. sick of the goats, I can stop milking them. They don't want to see me. I don't want to see them. I don't want to make Chev again. Right. And the cows start having their babies, and I get excited about having cow babies again. And, you know, are the daughters going to milk as good as the mothers? You know, you go through that whole thing every year. It's a very, it's, it's a good rhythm. Not for everybody, but it's a good rhythm. I do need a day off, though. <laughs> <laughs> Do. <laughs> we do. do. We all do. Yeah. Well, maybe we can uh, we can set up a little board and taste some of Brent's cheeses. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so right now we're only tasting cow's cheeses because the goats dried up in October. Um, I'm milking goats from March to October. And then I'm trying to milk the cows from September to June. Let's see how that works out. The animals don't speak English, so sometimes there's a slip up there. But for tonight, we have three cow's cheeses, which I call everything cachotta right now. Uh, Italian for cheese. Uh, these are all cow, made at different times of the season. So our first one, uh, it's it's a big one. You saw it. It's about 12 pounds in a big wheel. Uh, so that would have been about 130, 120 pounds of milk into one big wheel. Um, so that's only about two weeks old. And when they're that large, normally they don't flavor up so quickly. After two weeks, you just kind of get that ugh, taste. But this is... Well, the paste is beautiful. The color is really great for this winter milk. It's so rich. Very nice. I'm sure the butterfats just like rocket. I'm hoping. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Variations on this like deep golden color that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, so we've got this uh, 20 days old. And then how old is this? The one in the middle uh, was made December 20th. So we are a month and yeah. 40 days old or so. And then our first one was made in September, right when the cows started lactation. So this is a grass cheese when we were grass only. Uh, now we are in the barn. So, we're, well, you know, they're outside, but they're still eating hay. So these are hay cheeses and this is a grass cheese. That's I was trying I was trying to go grass fed only, mm -hmm. uh, but I have milking. Uh, I love my milking shorthorns. I have milking shorthorn cows. Very beautiful. Uh, going grass only. I'm not getting a lot of milk out of mine. I know there are some really milky cows out there, but the, the 12 I have, maybe grass fed is only is not the way to go with these 12. It's a conversation that we have a lot. <laughs> yes, we do. We do. How, you know, it takes a few generations, I think, to it figure does out take, how to be a true. It does take a few. And um, I've got a lot of pasture here and my yeah. I love my pastures and I love the cows. Uh, so this one is a grass fed. So the first one we're tasting now is a hay. It's only a couple weeks old. Uh, it was the, you know, it's in a big 12 pound wheel. Mm. It tastes a lot better, I think. You would imagine for two week old cheese. The ar the aroma to this cheese is just really lively. I mean, there is a diversity to the smell that's really mm. delightful. It feels to me like everything is in balance. It's it's delicate. It has but certainly a nice buttery flavor and a creamy mouthfeel, and everything is in balance. It's just it's delicate. It's beautiful. Yeah, and as this cheese ages, you just know that the concentration of those flavors is mm. going to deepen, get more complex. But honestly, at 20 days, I could sit down and eat this Crush all it. day long. Absolutely. We sold a bunch of it today, so somebody's out there eating it. Oh, I, nor I normally wouldn't sell it this soon, but you know, I, uh, I did have some aging problems. It is starting to crack this particular wheel, so I cut it open just to see what it was like, and it was good. So we started. Why not? We sold it off today. It was, yeah. 
We're, we're liking it. It's going to melt nice. It's going to be great uh, in cooking. Can you imagine this yeah. in mac and cheese? Oh, yeah. mm. Brian, we were talking Crazy. earlier a little bit about um, the love it or hate it pH meter. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> how many times how, you calibrate it in a day? How in, in Italy, um, you know, the way that you learn to make cheese didn't have anything to do with pH meter. It no, had to do with touch. No, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So uh, I started milking sheep out on the fields uh, with my neighbor ladies, Giuseppina and Mama Rosa. And Mama Rosa was blind. She was 95 when I met her. She died at 100. So I learned making cheese with her kind of, you know, we would be sitting there pressing cheese wheels together and she would reach over and feel my cheese and give me a little slap on the hand because we didn't, (laughs) you know, I didn't understand what she was saying. But um, there was no pH, you know, there were no pH meters up on those hills at the time or reading acidity. And I made a lot of cheeses before I even knew what an acidity, you know, people actually did that. So then I moved to the USA. Uh, We didn't have to pasteurize cheese in Italy. And I never used a pH meter for those 20 plus years. And then I moved to the USA and I'm meeting cheesemakers and going to conferences and they're trying my cheeses. We're talking about cheeses and uh, people are saying, so when are you adding rennet at what pH or acidity? I don't. 40? <laughs> I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I didn't know what the right number was. You know, I have no clue. So to this day, I still don't, I, I don't have a pH reader. I don't have an acidity reader. I just, uh, I do it like I did in Italy. And the cheeses, they're never going to be consistent like they would be if I were reading um, acidity levels. But you know, the, the cheeses are good. So they're we're going to keep going. They're amazing. I remember when, I guess it was probably three years ago, Brent and I were at a cheesemakers conference and I think you just were like, I, what am I going to do this regulation? <laughs> but I'm telling you, your, your room is so beautifully designed where you're making the cheese. This whole farm is so pristine. I'd say, <laughs> honestly, you, <got> <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. So what, uh, what yeah. are your, what are your guides? Is it, what were you using in Italy you know, that you now use? Was it taste, touch? Oh gosh. What helps you along in the process? Cause your cheeses are obviously beautiful. So well, you must be doing something right. Well, the, you know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself in Italy because Italy is, like we said before, the, you know, the demand for very good food, it's a must. It's not an option. You know, you you had to be good at it. And being a young American with a bad accent, <laughs> I, you know, I made a lot of cheeses, which I thought, well, it's kind of good, but I could not go to market with that stuff. It had to be really good or you didn't take it. And that just gets ingrained in you because it wasn't, it's not an option. Uh, you just, you had to be good at it. And, but it took, you know, five, six years of me making these cheeses thinking, okay, it's good, but I don't remember what I did. Why is it good? So now I'm, I'm really back to just treating my animals so good Letting them, you know, they are part of the, I don't want to be goofy. Yeah, they are. They're the family. All of them are. My family. They are my family. And, you know, they treat them good and all the work's done in the barn. So by the time I get it, like we said earlier, when we were talking, doing a tour, I don't have a lot of free time in my day to make cheese. So when I go in the cheese room, I'm actually trying to speed it up. I'm just trying to, I have so much going on in the day that I'm just trying to spend as little time in there as possible. So if you treat the animals good and get the good milk, that is such a, it's such one step up on the game or two steps up on the game. Quality of milk is. So my work in there, just keep it clean and and simple. And, you know, sometimes I look at it and for some reason in my eye, I'm I'm not trying to be a a mago or a guru. You know, you look at it and say, it's not ready. 
And and I, I don't know why. I can't explain that why. Experience is why. Experience, intuition. yeah. You you know, touch it, feel it, smell it, all that all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you feel like intuition guides you in that process, or are you thinking you're working just based on experience? Steph and I talk about intuition all the time in our. I would Jason. not. If I were explaining this to anybody off the street, I wouldn't say intuition. Okay. But as we're speaking here as three cheesemakers, you know, and, and having made so many mistakes out there, and it is a lot of intuition because I'm not reading anything. So you just have to. I, I'm so heartened by the fact that you're saying, hey, I've made mistakes. And I think, you know, as cheesemakers talking to cheesemakers, this is the reality. If you're a cheesemaker and you've said you've made no mistakes, I think they're they might be a little delusional yeah. <laughs> or they haven't had enough experience. And for yeah. me, I feel like that time, five, six, seven years, you're getting into it and you're getting so that you know these cheeses intimately, you know the milk intimately, you know the land intimately, and it takes time. So I'm so glad that you expressed that to it, us. It, that's how I feel. It takes so, 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 so long. You know, I, I, I would come to the USA and I would buy these cheesemaking books because in the 90s, the cheesemaking books were coming out. So I'd come over and buy these cheesemaking books. And it was like reading a science project. And I was up on my little mountain going, oh, my God, I don't understand anything about it. So I I stopped reading the books. And the very worst cheeses I've ever tasted, I made them. You know, and some of the best cheeses I've ever tasted, I've made them. So, you know, Mm. you got to – sometimes it's the luck of the draw. But once you get your farm – clean and the animals are trusting you and you weed out the bad ones yeah it's it's gonna happen it just takes a long time the seven years i couldn't explain to you why the cheese was setting you know seven or eight years and i I kept saying much like the italian language i kept saying i'm not gonna get this i don't i don't get it so this is a great story isn't it oh this it it does pop in it pops in i mean it's not for the weak hearted or you know the Short attention span people. This is a long, long process. You have to be tenacious. You have to be very tenacious. Yeah. Yeah. You have to really want to be doing this. So you you said your partner is on the farm in Italy. You still own property there. We do. We have two farms there um, up in the mountains of Tuscany. Beautiful. And so tell us how you decided to come back and and start Limefilm Farm. Like, how did that come about? Yeah, in 2014, our beloved goat farm called Valle di Mezzo, um, I was happily working there. I bought a new tractor. We hired two new people from Hungary. I said, you know, cause I was there for five years. I said, oh gosh, this has been fun. I was there 10 years and said, oh, I should go home and get a job. I was there 20 years and said, uh oh, 25 years. I said, I think I'm here for life. And right when I said, I think I'm here for life, somebody knocked on the door and said, nice place. Hmm. How much? I said, <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't selling anything. But then, you know, talking with Alessandro because, um, Another cultural difference, a big property over there doesn't move fast. So here, you know, if you want to sell, somehow you can sell. You can figure it out. Um, but there, Alessandro said, you have a beautiful life, but when's the next time you're going to have an offer? So when you're 50, thinking about that, it's like, oh, gosh, what if I'm 65 and want to go back to the States and I've got this big place? So, you know, you start going through that in your head. And I had, I, I had a very good ride in Italy with the farms and the notoriety and the cheese making and being accepted. Um, it was a hard decision to make to say, okay. So that's that's how we did come to the USA. But we were too young to stop, but didn't want to do it again in Italy because regulations to start again, another farm. It was, it was That's a long process. So uh, And you had already 
started two farms. Had started two farms in and Italy. Been accepted yeah. and done very well. And and um, yeah, I felt the. I love that your your smile is so I big am. right now when you, <laughs> when you talk I'm, about. I'm feeling being, it. <laughs> just being part of that the community. It was huge. It was village. such a big part of my yeah. life. I, mean, I feel big, kind of. I'm kind of overwhelmed <laughs> with emotion thinking about it's it like myself. It's like the dream of everyone is like, is going to Tuscany and running a farm. Like, <laughs> and then it, having it long a, enough to spend two and a half decades <laughs> doing it successfully, you know? It That's, is and was a dream that continues. It truly, 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 <laughs> truly. Uh, I love people, those people. Can people visit the one farm? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's a guest. Yes, right? my goodness. Um, prettiest farm on the mountain. It's called Priello, P-R-I-E-L-L-O www.priello.com and see all the pictures. That's a little farm that we built. Uh, it was up there. It's been there since the 1600s, but there was no lights and water. We did all that. And now it's just stunning. It's beautiful. It's part of the family. I know every rock. I know every mistake. I know I have so many memories there. And all the beauty. I am going to get emotional. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, we we're going to bring you back to the harsh reality of the bomb cyclone of New York State. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's snow on the ground. It is bitterly cold outside. Um, busted and, pipes. Yeah. yeah busted, we're you know, back. You're, you're dealing with some setbacks this winter due to the super, super cold weather. But as we were driving down the road to come to Lime Kiln Farm. Yes. We passed that historic Lime Kiln. I know. We which stopped. Is, you know, Mark, we stopped. We looked at it. And we just felt like we were in this very, we were like, oh, like this part of the woods is like (laughs) really amazing. And we came upon your farm and like somebody was coming out who just bought cheese and, and it was super exciting to be in this place. It definitely has uh, a really powerful energy. Um, I'm sure you bring the land is special too. I'm thrilled about that. Cause I, like we were saying earlier, you know, when, when we found it, I knew we were buying it as soon as I turned in the driveway without seeing the house in Barnes. Yeah. You see it on the internet. But uh, I have to feel it. Felt it. I felt it. We've had three. This is our third big farm that we've restarted from pretty much a state of abandonment. And the other two farms, it felt like the house was happy. You're giving back, really, yeah. to a community by taking this under your wing, you know? Well, I'm hoping. That certainly isn't the goal when you start all this. No. But, uh, you know, you get so into it. And it is so much work and so much pie. If you don't have the passion, it's just silly the hours that we put into this and the town you know through my effort or not they are they will benefit from this oh they will and we do get the compliments from people you know they i walk my sheep to the far end of the farm it's a big place and you know i do have cars stopping to take a picture when i'm out there with 100 sheep we need to just stop right there brent zimmerman (laughs) because one of my favorite instagram posts of all time (laughs) is of you taking the sheep out to pasture along the road and someone stops and hands him a bottle of of moonshine <laughs> and it's apparently not the first time it's happened so he has great neighbors so pretty much if anybody's looking to make friends you need to have become a shepherd it has happened a couple of times the first time was a bloody mary at nine o'clock in the morning wow. a car drove by and handed me a bloody out of a mary. car out of a car. Do you feel like you're home? No. <laughs> <laughs> it helped. <laughs> it helps. It helps ease the pain of the broken pipe. It pipes. does. It's- and so you're in this place of having so much experience and so, you know, accolades. Yes. In, uh, a, you know, a cheese making Mecca like Italy. Yes. And, but your, your farm here, you know, you bring all that experience, but obviously there's the adjustment to doing it a little bit differently in the States uh, and to, um, 
to having to start over and you're only in what your third or fourth year this is my third year here on this farm yeah so we are starting another farm again so as you were saying you know i had my last goat farm the cheese farm a very long time so all the kinks are worked out the animals are fantastic yeah, you know the neighbors, you know the market, you know the rules and regulations. It's it, it was a piece of cake to go to work every day. Then to find another big abandoned farm, and it is a big property, and the barns are old and beautiful and romantic, but you know they don't always work when they're old and beautiful and romantic. So there's a lot of quirks of trying to, because it's a farm that you really want to work, and you can't. I don't want to be a farm with three cows and fifty chickens. You know it these animals have to pay. So you have to have numbers of animals. And I do like diversity. I like having something to sell every day. So having a big flock of sheep and the cows to milk in the winter and the goats to milk in the summer and the pigs to eat the whey and the chickens for the chicken eggs for the summer markets. That's a lot going on every day. Don't forget bees. And the bees. You know, we got the honey. We got the bees. I got the dogs that, you know, they're big. Uh, beautiful dogs. They are beautiful. I love my dogs. Um, so it's a lot to take on all at once while you're trying to build the buildings and get the permits in a new country with new regulations which i don't understand i had to learn to pasteurize cheese which i had never done which adds a long you and know it's a whole different it's, it's like it's not even milk it's <laughs> when you've been working with the raw milk for 25 years i can imagine it, this is yes when i started pasteurizing i was like it's so different. I mean, it's the same. It's, but it's, the, it's the timing is very different. I'm not, it's not a fast day in the cheese room anymore. Um, yeah, pasteurization. I'm still learning to love the pasteurization process, which I. <laughs> See, we're being really positive up here in upstate New York today on this bitter cold we're day. All smiles. I mean, this is a, 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 just a really cool place to be right now. It I think is. like tasting this cheese. That tastes like it was you it's know, an, brought from halfway across the world. Or something. Oh, that's it's nice. My heart is full right that's, now being here that's with my nice. good friend seeing his property and his animals. It's like everything Mine I as well. I need for. this weekly. If you can just drive back <laughs> weekly. That's why we have to text. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brent, do you have a favorite um, Italian expression from Tuscany? Oh, my God. My Italian expressions. <laughs> well, I love all the proverbs. I got my uh, Italian proverb books. Uh, right now, I'm going with um, L'uomo deve puzza, which I love, which is a man's got a stink because, oh. you know, he's he's working all day. You never give a man's got a The man's got a stink because oh, you're see, working, you're yeah. sweaty, you're working. I love <laughs> saying that right now. <laughs> It's and a matter of fact. I gotta it is a matter of fact. And I also, feel like I could pull that out no, because numerous I'm, times in my household. I am, household. you know, the world is what it is, and I'm working with a lot of men who don't stink. Right. And, <laughs> y y you know, if they would help me, they would stink as well. Right. <laughs> Say so that is always coming in my head. <laughs> and then another one I like is La Terra Sempre Più Basta. The, I can translate half of that one. The land is always farther away because the older we get and oh. we're gardening, it's like, oh my god. Oh, <laughs> I've been feeling that this there. week, especially. That's why you're not milking the sheep anymore. Or la terra sempre più lontana. <laughs> the same. Yeah. So I've got a lot of stuff that I love. Yeah. What was I the love. one on the refrigerator door? What is on the um alla prossima volta? See you next. Till the next time. Till the next time. Yes. 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 Well, Brent. We um, had a, 
it's been really lovely talking to you and it's uh, been fantastic having you here but we're friends now you have to come often and stay longer Absolutely. i think we should pull out the calendar and set our cheese making date before we leave today let's do it yeah we're gonna we're do gonna it. stick our claim to a batch of this uh Delectable uh, cacciotta yes. uh, for our future collective creamery cheese share this fall. Yeah, it's very rare. We'll be so lucky to have it. Oh, super. You should stay here and make it with me then. Oh, <laughs> all right. More more dates <laughs> for the that. calendar. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thank you. See ya. Collective Creamery is Stephanie Angstadt, Sue Miller, and Alex Jones. Jordan Heil produced the podcast, and Mike Lorenz wrote our music. You can hear him on Thursday nights at the Tired Hands Brew Cafe in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can learn more and subscribe to our cheese subscription at collectivecreamery.com. Chin. Chin. Okay, and if you want to do the Italian talk, we want you to do it. You got to do the Italian talk. I got to do it. You should do. I felt like I cut you off there. Were you going to say something? I feel like I did too. No, because this is like therapy. That was good timing. That was good timing. Okay. Oh, I we it's fine. It's fine. We we just you know you we can said just, it was buttery. That's it's what you can do in your in your footnotes of before and after. The conversation was flowing and we didn't quite even taste all the cheeses on air. <laughs> I feel like there's so much like Ivor Glass voiceover that people would say like, I don't know, like you talk, you speak English like an Italian speaks Italian. Oh. You know what I mean? Like you're still, you, <laughs> you have know. this like rhythm that like, oh, that, you know, an English speaker who's only like spoken English. I don't know it. We should have talked know. about this wine with this cheese. Oh, actually, oh my God. This wine is It really does work. This cheese. Oh, this super. Rich butteriness, yeah. I feel like mm, they like each other. Okay, will you come right. over and speak your Italian? Right. Yeah. Ma tutti due. You gotta get right up to the right. 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 Io, io ma che tipo? Che tipo di le cacciotte? Quelle fresche, quelle stagionate, quelle che mi hai aiutata ora ora a fare? E che differenza c'è tra quella grass fed? Cosa sarebbe? Grass fed. Grass fed. Sì, grass fed. Quelle che le ho mangiate sulle erbe, sui campi. Belli. Quando erano fuori, tutte verde. Si fa bel marketing. Quante? Vuoi di più o di meno? Di più. Non mi fregare. <ride> eh, non fregare. Detto... No, diciamo per te è un prezzo speciale, bello. Benissimo. All right, it's, I'm turning it off. That was good. <laughs> oh, you understand.